Thank you, Tim. Good morning, Calvary Church. Good morning. Hey, my name's Matt. Um, last time I was here with you was January 3rd. I talked about Sabbath, and then God gave me a really awesome Sabbath in the way of mono. So uh, <laughs> it's good to be back with you. Um, here today, getting to celebrate a little bit with you, uh, last week... Uh, I celebrated an anniversary of mine. Um, we are in a, a series called Better Together, and so I brought my, my best buddy, Eric Wakeling. Say hi, Eric. <laughs> hey, everybody. There we go. Um, we're going to do this together, and hopefully by the end of this, you'll think it was better, but if not, then we're <laughs> scrapping the whole series. Um, I had an anniversary last week. It was April 9th, 2007. Uh, I was rolled into an operating room and I had gastric bypass surgery. At the time, uh, this is about what I look like. I was, uh, uh, there's, there's debate whether I'm 5'6 or 5'7, but it's somewhere in there. Um, but I was 301 pounds at that moment. And uh, if you can tell, these, these clothes uh, are the clothes that I wore. This was what I wore. And believe it or not, they were actually uh, getting a little bit snug on me. And these were the clothes that I was wearing and came out of that and really after like lifelong struggle with just food. And that was just where I went for everything. And, and today what we want to talk to you about is our old way of living and our new. And, and there is no part of me, I, I, I keep these clothes as a reminder for me. And every April 9th, I just kind of take a look and I, I'm thankful that that is something for me that was in my past. Yeah, isn't that great? So today, uh, we're going to look in the book of Ephesians. If you get your Bibles out, if you don't have a Bible, we have one in the seat rack in front of you. We're going to start on page 152 in the New Testament, the right side of the Bible. But we're going to walk through this concept of, and this reminder of, we had an old life. I had an old life, and I can't, if, I, I, I don't wear these clothes out at all anymore. In fact, there's, there's, I am a new creation. I live my life differently. So we're going to walk through some of this as we go through. Pay attention. Here we go. Wait, Matt, you got to off with the old. Should I? Should right? I, okay. I mean, come on. There, there, there are other clothes <laughs> underneath that. So Let's get go. rid of it. The whole point of today is we're saying is get rid of it. Remember your old life, but get rid of it. So we have these points here too, that it's off with the old, on with the new. That's, that's the point of the sermon. Today, we are going to look at this first point that says... Hold on one second. Whoa! I know. My wife had a moment of nervousness right there. I'm sorry. I did too. I had to make sure I just got one layer. I'm I sorry. I felt like I had to move farther away. I know. <laughs> sorry, Eric. Better together. Here we go. Okay. Well done. He looks... Yes. You look beautiful, buddy. Okay. So... <laughs> um, and now, if you remember with the first sermon on Ephesians 4, just a couple weeks back, Ephesians 4.1, it's on the screen. It says, Therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you've been called. So we've been looking into this. How do we walk worthy? I want to walk in that worthy manner. And so what we look at here is that we remember your old life. We remember our old lives and the ways that we used to walk but we don't walk in those ways anymore. So look at verse 17. So you should have your Bibles out by now. If you scroll down to verse 17 there, it says, So this I say, and affirm together with the Lord, that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles also walk. 
Okay, so we don't want to walk in that way anymore. So how do we walk worthy? We see one of the ways here is to walk no longer as the Gentiles walk. In the futility of their mind, being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart. And they, having become callous, have given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. All right, so we see all that, and if we want to say, walk no longer as the Gentiles walk, I feel like we should look into a little bit of, well, so then, how did the Gentiles walk? And in that time, you have all of these people who are, are coming to know Jesus. They've either been, they're either Jewish believers or they're people who have been a Gentile living in this way. And it says, walk no longer in that way. So I want us just to get a glimpse, and we're going to do a couple glimpses into some of the the culture, that Greco-Roman background. As we've talked about this some of how they worshipped Greek mythological gods, they patterned their lives, they patterned their business practices, even in the sense of worshipping these gods. If they wanted to be part of, you know, the union, essentially, they had to make sacrifices to certain gods. But then if we look into thinking about Ephesus specifically, where Paul is writing to here in this passage, this city of Ephesus was a city that worshipped this Greek goddess Artemis, or the Roman name Diana. Now, uh, this, this Greek goddess is a goddess that's known as a mother goddess. Fertility, sexuality were the things that she would be part of. And, and we learned even as, as Matt and I went to Turkey about a year ago, which is where Ephesus is, we learned more even about before sort of Bible times back into these, this, this really I would say is a demonic stronghold of this mother goddess worship. There's one called Kibbola and some others that were, I believe, this demonic stronghold that was taking place in that area of all of this fertility, sexuality, uh, forms of worship. Now, one thing that's um, kind of horrifically interesting is that in Ephesus, it's estimated that they had about 1,700 brothels, houses of prostitution. Now, the, the population at the time was somewhere around 250,000 people. And they uh, think that 25% of the population were slaves. And the vast majority of those slaves served in some sort of sexual manner as well as whatever else they did. And it's just unbelievable what's going on in this culture. They also had these times, uh, there, there was this whole patron-client relationship thing. Kind of like if you were to take a client to a Lakers game or whatever. Okay, well there it just gets ridiculously out of control. This patron-client relationship, these heads of houses. Now in Ephesus there was also matrons. It was a strong, because of Artemis, uh, there was a strong, uh, just women had a strong role in this place, which is so different than anywhere else in the ancient world. And that's even part of why you'll see in, in all the writings in the Bible that talk about, um, you know, women submitting or, you know, being silent or not usurping authority or these sorts of things. Those are all written to Ephesus specifically. And so you can see some reasons why they were even saying some of those things, because it was very difficult for them as the early church started. Now, um, within all of that, within that patron or matron-client relationship, they had something called the symposium. Now, you might have heard that word symposium or symposia before, where you think, oh yeah, it's like, isn't that like a conference or something where you share ideas and people, uh, you know, share speeches and knowledge? Well, no. A symposium in the ancient world was a drinking party, or it was an opportunity to have this, uh, you know, kind of wine and dine your, your clients, 
Okay, and so they would, they would come and they would come to this, uh, this house or the head of the house and they would swim in like a, a bath or a pool and they would swim naked. And it'd be men and women and then they'd go into this room where then they would recline on couches and they'd have male and female servants who were also prostitutes come and serve them and they'd serve them food, they'd serve them bowls of wine. They would drink wine out of these bowls and then they would um, vomit Uh, it out so they could then drink more. They would pour out offerings of the wine to Dionysus. Uh, This God will hear more about as we go. Uh, And then there was all sorts of kind of, you know, orgy sex-like practices that would take place. Walk no longer just as the Gentiles also walk. This is the life that they are leaving. This is the life that would be normative, okay? This is the normal life that they would be part of. And he says, no, 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 don't do that anymore. It's not just sort of, you know, be more Jewish when it says don't walk like the Gentiles. There's all sorts of stuff going on within that. And, and so this all really, as we see in the, these couple verses, there's some things about that that we can learn. That, that they had and we have a hardness of heart because of the life that they're part of. And it was a hard life, and it was a life full of a lot of, of struggle, and even then their escape was pretty hard. There was also a darkness of heart that would take place there. And you can see some, some more descriptions of this in your notes, that they, they would suppress the truth, that they would run from that. There would also be a deadness of heart. They had a deadness of heart, but we have to realize is that we have a deadness of heart in us that God is, is, is doing something with and he's, he's healing. But this is where we're coming from. And it's difficult then in a state of deadness to recognize good and evil. And then finally, we had a recklessness of heart. And that is within all of the way that this sensuality and sexuality just gets expressed in these ridiculously crazy ways. All right, so we look at that, and, and there's this transition that takes place. In verse 20, Paul is saying to the people of Ephesus, he says, but you did not learn Christ in this way. There's this transition. The first couple of verses we're talking about, that is your old life. That is the old way of living. Transition, verse 20, but you did not learn this. I almost have this like picture of like a, a mother grabbing the ear of her child, like dragging down the street saying, I did not teach you to grow. I did not, you did not train you to grow up like this. Like we did something different. He says, you are different. You are learned Christ. And because of that, we can't walk according to our old ways, but we walk according to our new way of life. You have a new way of walking. And so this is what it says, but you did not learn Christ in this way. If indeed you have learned Christ, if you have heard him and you've been taught in him, just as truth is in Jesus, that in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self. That old part of you, Lay it aside, put it off, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lusts of deceit and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind, which is interesting because earlier he's saying you're walking in the futility of your mind, but he says renew your mind. And then instead of laying off the old self, now he's saying to put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. He set up these two lives and he's saying, look, you 
don't live like this anymore. You have a new way of living. This is about salvation. This is about life change. And Paul has this as a theme. He's talking about and he's using this metaphor of clothing, actually. It's kind of interesting. If you look at this, and we're going to spend a little time also in Colossians chapter 3 where he's addressing this. But when he says to lay aside, he, he says this not only in verse 22, but then he also says this in Colossians. It's this word in Greek. It is apotithemai. Say that with me. Apotithemai. It means to rid yourselves or to literally to take off clothes or to take off a garment. He says, get rid of it. That's your old life. He also has this other word. It's apekduomai. Say apekduomai. Apekduomai. Good job. We are Greek scholars in here. <laughs> also means to take off clothes, to take off garments. And so that old life is what we lay aside. But then he uses this other word. It's enduo. Say enduo. Enduo. We are to put on. It literally means to put on clothes. This is the idea here. That was your old life. It needs to be taken off. He's talking to people who are in this culture where there is struggle. And he says, you have new hearts, but you have old habits. You are walking through and basically your clothes don't fit anymore. You have this old way of doing it. And he says, I want you to get rid of these things. Don't let them have a grip on you. And you can see we've had a theme, right, of these, of clothing a little bit. And hopefully you've noticed that there's something different about me as well. Uh, if not, let's get to know each other a little more uh, after the service. <laughs> but, <laughs> but with this whole, this, this new heart, old habits thing, you, you could see where often what we try to do is to mask or cover up the sin that we have. You know, there's junk in our life. There's something that we're carrying. There's things underneath the surface. And so we cover them, but we actually never really deal with them. We never get rid of them. And um, this made me remember uh, something that I remember in high school, some friends and I would do, is that this little prank that we do to our buddies. I remember back when I was 16 years old, we first got cars. We would do this. I, this is 25 years ago now for me. But um, to remember, we would take these, we would get a fish, a dead fish, and we would somehow steal our friend's keys, and then we would strap the dead fish underneath their driver's seat. Uh, or sometimes even like underneath their car if we couldn't steal their keys. And so what would happen is then over time, like they wouldn't notice it at first, but over time it would get rotten or it would get cooked underneath and it just starts to stink and smell. And it's an awesome prank because they don't know where it's coming from and they're all confused and they finally find it, but it's weeks, it's like a week later or something and, and we're, we're long gone. And, and so it's a great little prank. But what I think about with that and with this is that it's kind of like if we had that fish in our car and the way we chose then to deal with it is to spray some air freshener. That might even be the first thing that we do. We're like, gosh, my car stinks. I'm going to get a little, you know, one of those little trees, or I'm going to spray some air freshener in there. And what it does is it'll cover it up for a moment, but pretty quickly that's going to come right back because all we're doing is masking it. We haven't gotten rid of the dead, the rotten, the, the sin, right? The sin is what's dead and rotten inside of us. So I am uh, going to remove what is masking underneath, you know, uh, the junk that is underneath here. Because underneath I'm carrying some sin. And that there is certain clothing 
Uh, you can just toss that one to the side, buddy. All right. So there's certain clothing that we see in this passage in uh, Colossians that will, talk, that will take us through some of these traits that we need to get rid of. And the first of these is anger. It says, get rid of anger. Get rid of that deep-rooted bitterness that's kind of it's festering underneath the surface. That we're getting angry and bitter. And it doesn't say mask it. It says, actually, get rid of it. Take it off. Remove it. Now, then you've got more. Right? All of a sudden you realize, okay, well, there's still the wrath. Wrath is the explosion of the anger. We have the anger deep down, and wrath is when that explodes on another person. And so we don't just mask it. We have to actually take it and get rid of it. We have to remove it from ourselves. Then that same verse in Colossians says, malice. Malice is this harmful or evil intent that we would have a way of being or speaking that is to do evil to another. Now you can see in a lot of these, it has to do with how we talk, how we speak, and how we treat other people. The root, uh, I think, issue going on with this passage is you see that you've got uh, people who are um, treating others as less than themselves and then speaking poorly of them. Because that takes us even to slander here. Slander is telling lies, telling falsehoods about someone that, you know, in order, I think, to lift yourself up. Maybe you've seen that in the workplace where someone, maybe you, I don't know, has then spoken ill of someone else so that they can get ahead. That is slander. And he says, get rid of it. Take it off. It's all clothing language being used in this passage. And then you've got this abusive speech or abusive language. Language that is used to cut or tear down other people. Where we know that the scriptures say that what we're to be about is to build others up. So we hurt with our words. That's abusive language. That has no place in the church. That has no place for us as believers. So we don't mask that or cover that up. We get rid of it. And then finally, here, we have lying. Now, don't worry, I've got one more underneath here, okay? So don't, I'm not that confident yet. But uh, Calvary Fitness, Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Uh, okay, so, but lying, lying is this other one, right? Just where we, we know lying. We're going to talk more about lying even next week uh, in, in, in as we continue in this passage in Ephesians. But lying, telling falsehoods. You know that Satan, one of his primary attributes is that he's the father of lies. And so we don't want to share attributes of the devil. So get rid of them. We want to get rid of them completely. Now what we, we don't do is just get rid of stuff and then just not put anything else on. Right? We want to be ones who would then say, no, now I need to take on what is good, what is Christ-like. How we know that this is supposed to be about building others up or caring about others more than ourselves. Our speech being good words, eulogos, good words about others. And so we take on these good words. And the first in this passage in Colossians is compassion. We want to be people who are full of mercy, full of God's grace. People who show that to other people, that see people, what's really going on and have compassion for them. We put on compassion. We then take and we put on kindness. Just as the, uh, you know, lying was that primary attribute of Satan. Well, we also know that one of, of the ways that the Bible speaks of God himself is kindness. God's, it is God's kindness 
that leads us to repentance. And so we want to be people that express that to others, to be grace-filled people that show kindness and care to other people. And then we take humility. Humility. Humility is tough maybe for some of us, maybe myself. And uh, we want to be people who are not filled with pride, but who consider others more highly than ourselves. And we have to put it on. It's hard. This is a hard process. And we might not get it all right away, but we continue to say, Lord, put these on. Put these upon me. Then we have meekness, which also uh, in the NSB is translated gentleness. We want to be people who are meek. Now, meek, as we know, probably, is that meek is not weak. Meek is a quiet strength. Meek is a gentle way of expressing strength. A big way that I try to grow is to have firm convictions, right? A firm heart with soft edges. To have that sense of being firm in what you believe. You're strong in who God has created you to be and your mission and your calling. But you do that with a sense of gentleness and care for people. So we have to put that on sometimes. It's easier just to bully your way through life. Uh, And then we have patience. We want to be people, right, who care about others more than ourselves, But sometimes as we're caring for people and we're helping them, they don't tend to, you know, change the way we want them to or even when we want them to. And so we also want to have a sense of patience, to love in that kind of way that is long-suffering, that cares for them in their process and not about, it's not about us when we're helping other people. So we have patience and we wait. And then we have, above all else, above everything, We have love. Love. We take love. Most important of all, the first and second greatest commandments. Love God. Love your neighbor. We put on love. If we can't do the rest, put on love. It's the most important. We put on love. God isn't just a loving God. God is love. And so we want to be more like him, and that's the ultimate characteristic that God is love. So we put on love. And uh, you know, we have these cool shirts. I think it's kind of cool. You don't have to wear it with six others underneath. Um, but we do have even some of these available in the lobby today. We'll tell you more about that as we go if you'd want to get one. So it's pretty cool. So how do we do this? Is it really that easy? I, I think the struggle for us as Christians is that we want to take these things off. There are certain garments and there are certain clothing that, that doesn't Work And so we, we struggle, but how do you actually do this? How do you take some of these things off and how do we put others on? And, and so we want to walk through this for a second. What is incredibly interesting to me is that Jesus does something amazing in his life. He has a friend named Lazarus. Lazarus dies. He's dead for four days. Jesus comes And he raises him from the dead. But look at what happens in this passage. It says, when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice. Jesus is standing basically in this cemetery, in this place where the bodies are. And he says, Lazarus, come forth. And the man who had died, which is Lazarus, he came forth. And it says this, bound hand and foot with wrappings. And his face was wrapped around with a cloth. He's basically a mummy. And he gets up and he starts walking. And what does Jesus say in response to this moment? He says, unbind him and let him go. I believe that what Jesus is calling us to do today, what we are supposed to be paying attention to, is that Jesus is calling us to this life where we take off our grave clothes. That old way of living, those are your grave clothes. And he says, I've set aside for you a divine wardrobe. 
And this is what I want you to wear. Now, if you go on and you look in Colossians, he's exhorting the people of Colossae. He's saying, look, live into this life. Put these old things off and put these new things on. This is your new way of living. And in verse 17, it says, whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do all, do everything in the name of Jesus. Now, uh, we're talking about this language of clothing, and we have, to, we have to see what's going on. When we went to Turkey last year, it's basically in every single town, there is a theater. It became like this running joke, like, oh, another theater. This is like the theater tour of Turkey. We saw a theater in every town that we went. Um, this is a theater, and it's the most well-preserved theater in all of Asia Minor. It's in Espendos, and it's sort of the western, southern western side of Turkey, and you see this wall in the background. It's called a skene. It's the fun, interesting, nerdy stuff that you learn when you go on a trip like this. But right here on the wall, there is this kind of tribute to a god. Now, Eric mentioned him earlier. His name is Dionysus. This is actually a close-up. This is Dionysus at the theater in Aspendus. He is the god of theater. He is also the god of wine and drunkenness and sex. And this is the connection here. Everywhere you go. Now, we go to this theater in this place called Pergamum. It's up to the north. And this is the steepest theater in all of Asia Minor. It's like 110 feet from top to bottom. It's, it seated 10,000 people. But we stood up at the very top. And our leader, Brad Gray, who we have taken a lot of what we're talking about this morning, is stuff that we learned in these moments on this trip. Brad went down to the very bottom. And he said something that was familiar and unfamiliar at the same time. He stood at the bottom and he shouted out this. Number one, to prove that the acoustics in these places were amazing. But secondly, he said this. Let whatever is done, whether in word or deed, be done in the name of Dionysus. And we said, what? He just exchanged some words. What we learned was... That in every theatrical production in the ancient world, before they would start the production, somebody would come out in front of the audience and say those words. Let whatever is done, whether in word or deed, be done in the name of Dionysus. He is the God of theater. There's a connection here that Paul is trying to make. Just off to the side, this is Pergamum from a different view. You look off to the side and there's this structure it's actually a temple. It's a temple to Dionysus. This is the only place where they actually see the theater and this temple. They're right there and they are connected. I want you to hear what Paul is up to and what he is doing here. He is making a connection, not only about clothing, but when he's talking about clothing and he is talking about this concept of let whatever is done, let it be done for Dionysus, he's using the language of actors, those who take off clothing, and put on clothing to play a new part. And the people there would have known it. And he's saying, look, pay attention. I don't know if you know this, but the word for an actor is a hypocrite. Now, our context, when we think about hypocrite, we think this is something really bad. A hypocrite to us in our culture today is somebody who is covering up. They have something bad, and so they are trying to cover it up with something good, but it's not really who they are. But 
if you were an actor back in that day, and if you were a good one, they'd say, wow, he is a good hypocrite. It's this idea that we put on something that maybe we don't have in order that we can see and experience a transition, a transformation of that thing becoming real. It becomes a new reality for us. So when Paul is saying, put aside the old and take on, put on the new, he's saying, you might not have it, but put it on. And as you put it on and as you wear this, you will change. There will be a transformation in your heart. There will be a transformation in your life. Now, you look, and if you were to walk around the streets in that culture during that time, it would look like it was really fun. It would look like there were parties, and there was all of this stuff going on. Thomas Cahill, he writes this book. He talks about why the Greeks matter, and he's, he's quoting this, this fourth century writer, but this is what he's saying as he observes this culture, and I think it's just as true for us today in our culture. He says, there is sadness beneath the merriment. Pain is sounding below their frantic attempts not to hear it. They are masking, they're trying to mask the pain and brokenness they feel, but it does not satisfy. Some of you have come from that life where there was merriment and joy and it felt like fun at the time, but you know that there was sadness and there was brokenness underneath all of it. Now, we have an example of a hypocrite. Who is this? Joker. Who's the hypocrite playing the part of Joker? This is Heath Ledger. Listen to this. Heath Ledger was found dead January 22nd, 2008 in his apartment in Manhattan. The medical examiner had a report. It was an accidental overdose. In his body, after they did the exam, they found six drugs. Painkillers, sleeping pills, anti-anxiety medication. He played the role of Joker in a phenomenal movie called The Dark Knight. It was an amazing performance, and some would say perhaps too amazing. In the time after he had filmed, and in between that and his death, he was interviewed in the New York Times, and this was a quote that he said regarding that experience and his life after it. He said, I slept an average of two hours a night after taking two Ambien while playing a psychopathic, mass-murdering, schizophrenic clown with zero empathy. My body was exhausted and my mind was still racing and prescription drugs didn't help. Heath Ledger became a hypocrite. He put on this role and the role overtook him. One of the eerie things is that somebody who played the Joker before, a guy named Jack Nicholson, after he had heard what had happened to Heath Ledger, he was asked to respond and he said this, well, I warned him. He said there is something about that role that changed him. He took on that role in such a way that it ruined him. We're calling you to do the opposite. 
If you struggle with compassion, put on compassion. If you struggle with kindness, put on kindness. If you struggle with loving people, put on love. And it is the work of the Spirit of God that will transform your life. So we have to recognize a couple things in the midst of all of this as we want to try to put this on, as we want to try to live this out, is that, one, we can't do this alone. And that's why we're here in Better Together. You got the clicker, my buddy? Okay. Uh, let's get rid of the Heath Ledger shot. Okay. Um, <laughs> but that we're not alone in this, that we really are better together. We need each other to be able to do this. We need each other to help us when we aren't kind and when we're not patient or we're not compassionate or we see our wrath begin to explode or whatever that might be, right? We can help sharpen one another and help build each other up. Ephesians 3, 15 to 17 says this, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching, and admonishing one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. That we share all of this for each other. Um, uh, and really what comes next to you, at that point, I think it's Colossians actually, but is that whatever you do, it comes next. Whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of Jesus. Let's flip that script, right? Let's, let's turn that around. What the world might say is the way that we're supposed to. Jesus, he reclaims it, he redeems it, he makes it his own. And so we do that in his name because where our treasure is, he says, that is where our heart is also. And so we guard our hearts. We guard our hearts from all of those shirts. We guard our hearts from letting those things creep in and become part of who we are, we get rid of it, we remove it, and we need each other as we do that. Because one part of all of this, too, is that it's this, it's this whole thing of we want to hold the world and we want to hold Jesus at the same time. You know, we want both. We want all the, the ways of the Gentiles, right? And then we want Christ at the same time. And he's like, no, you can't do that. You can't have both. That's, you know, that's living that sense of a lie. That is the struggle that got the people of Israel in trouble with all, you know, over hundreds and hundreds of years was compromise, that they would compromise themselves. And there's a great thought that says, you have nothing to offer the world around you because there is nothing different about you. And there's a check there for ourselves, right? And we need to help each other as we do that. And so... The, the challenge that I want you to consider, the thing I want you to think about as we begin to close this time is, what's your shirt? What's your shirt that you need to take off? What's the shirt to get rid of and to throw to the side? And then what's your shirt that you need to put on? Maybe there's more. Maybe it's not one of these traits in Colossians 3, but maybe it's something else. And maybe it's, um, you know, so, something different or maybe it's more than one. But... You know, whatever that is, to begin to consider, Lord, what would you want me to get rid of? 
Is it that sense of pride or is it wrath, malice, anger, abusive language, lying, whatever that might be? And then, Lord, what do you want me to put on? And put on above all else, put on love. So as we are going to transition now, we're going to have a time of worship. Some more time to be able to consider these things, to pray about that, to sing songs of worship to God together as a family. And you'll also have a chance to come to these stations that are around the room. And there's at the stations you can give. You can give your offerings to the Lord as you come to those and worship him in that way. You can remember the sacrifice that Christ made on the cross as we take communion, as we receive that, as we eat of the bread, we remember that he gave his body for us. And as we drink from the cup, we remember that he shed his blood for us, but that he did not stay dead, that he came back to life again, and that there is power in the resurrection. And we remember and celebrate all of it as we, as we participate in uh, communion with the Lord. And then we also have a chance to pray with folks. We'd love to pray with you, people available at the prayer points, to pray with you about any of you know, these things that are going on. So let me pray for us now, and we'll sing and worship and praise God for what he's done. Oh, Lord God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your incredible example, Lord, through your sacrifice, through your love, through the way that you have modeled what it looks like to be a God of love. And Lord, may we put that on. But Lord, I pray that as we know, we we can't do this ourselves. That it is your Holy Spirit that gives us power. It's your death and resurrection that gives us power and purpose, Lord, that makes it all even matter. And so, Lord, we remember here now that you laid down your life Lord, that you do the work. You get rid of the junk and the sin in our life through the cross. Thank you, God. We thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.